Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. Welcome back to Inside the Hive. I am Emily Jane Fox. I'm here with Joe Hagan, my co-host, but today I'm going to treat him as a special guest. You're always a special guest, Joe, but today you are an author of a fantastic story, so I'm going to I'm going to elevate you. I appreciate that. That's sweet. How are you doing? You know, I'm great. It's a glorious day on the eastern seaboard of the United States. Talk it's to me about sunny. the weather. It's been sunny, beautiful, low humidity. I would go so far as to say it's like California. Mm. In fact, I had a friend, okay, uh, visiting me. She lives in Joshua Tree. Mm, not, cool. too, not too far from you. She, um, I'm going to give a shout out to her, Linda Krantz, because she is one of the owners of Pappy and Harriet's, a very famous sort of like roadhouse out in Pioneer Town, out in the desert. And uh, she's been thinking about moving here. And so uh, we said, oh, yeah, come out and check it out. Go look look at some real estate, that kind of thing. Well, it look it looks and feels like California while she's here, which probably gave her the wrong idea. She's gonna call you back in January and say exactly. you sold you sold me a bill of goods. Yes, <laughs> I'm afraid so. So you know, um, it's beautiful. The mask mandates have come down just this week. In fact. Um, Two of my children are graduating from middle school tomorrow, and the grandma gets to come because oh. the governor said people can go out and go to these kinds of events, and um, it's great. So we're still enjoying the fruits of this, uh, you know, new world, the brave new world that's post-pandemic. Three cheers for grandmas getting to go to everything. I'm very excited Absolutely. for your girls and for their grandmother and for everyone getting to do all the things that they want to do. My grandmother this week went out and bought my baby some clothes, I was told this week. So she is <laughs> able to get out and go to a store, which I know she's been itching to do for a very long time. And I think she's been itching for a much longer time to get to buy her great granddaughter some clothes. So the world is getting back to normal. Good things are happening. We're actually in a heat wave here in California. It's been uh, above 90 degrees for the last few days. So it's been hot. Uh, 90 degrees when you're nine months pregnant is a whole vibe, as the kids say. (laughs) That's a vibe. Uh, But I will take it. I'm enjoying it. I'm very excited for this, um, what I'm calling uh, hot baby girl summer. And we're, we're getting into it. Three, two, one. Political Breakdown is a daily politics podcast from KQED in San Francisco that goes deep into the issues you care about. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. Look, 2024 is going to get weird. Who decides when there's been an insurrection or not? We're still in the innovation phase of AI. And that is where you see that they're not actually being equitable and trying to build a utopia where we can all use drugs happily together. (laughs) But whatever happens this election year, the KQED politics team is in this with you. Political Breakdown. 
Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, I'm going to pivot away from our our. our now you know everything that's going on in our lives, and now we'll move on to national events. Well, Tom, let, before we move on to national events, and I guess this technically is included in that, and I guess this will bridge the gap between national events and what's going on in our lives. Can you tell us a little bit about the story that you had published this week on VanityFair.com? Certainly. Uh, it's an interview, exclusive interview with Peter Jackson, the director, Lord of the Rings fame. A lot of you may know about and be anticipating his Beatles movie that he's been working on. And we got a little bit of a sneak preview. Saw about an hour of it. Cool. And uh, we just learned really in the last few days that it's a six hour movie, three episodes, a docu-series. You know, they come up with the new words all the time for whatever the thing is. But it's a movie. But it's a six hour movie about the Beatles. So anyway, we got this beautiful interview with him. We find out the backstory because all of it is is made of footage that was shot in 1969 for another movie called Let It Be that not many people saw and has its own kind of weird backstory. Um, but that movie, uh, Let It Be, the original one, really has been out of circulation mostly for the last many decades. And so they invited Peter Jackson to come in. Hey, we got 60 hours of raw footage, the wow. rushes, as they, as they say. Why don't you make a new film out of all this stuff? And so he has this technology, as some people may have seen, where he can take this old film and kind of revive it, reanimate it and scrub it and make it look incredible, right? So if anybody's seen the preview to his movie called Get Back, The Beatles, Get Back, you will be astonished. You probably were astonished when you saw it. It's like, it looks like it was shot yesterday. It's really remarkable. So anyway, it was our great fortune to talk to him about it, to find out what the film is going to look like and how it came together. And it really, it's a like a time machine into January 1969 while they were making their last album or the last official album they put out, Let It Be. So that's a long way of saying is, wow. That's phenomenal. Was he a big Beatles fan? Huge Beatles fan. He, in fact, owned a like bootleg copy of this original movie I wow. mentioned called Let It Be, which was directed by a guy named Michael Lindsay Hogg, who has his own fascinating backstory. He has a memoir out called Luck and Circumstance. This is a little bit of a side bar here, but the original director, Michael Lindsay Hogg, kind of came up in the theater because his mother was a famous actress. Anyway, he was believed, a lot of people believed in Hollywood circles that Michael Lindsay Hogg was the love child of Orson Welles. So, and he never really disabused anybody of that. And so he ended up becoming kind you? of like, um, you know, through luck and circumstance, ended up being asked by like the Rolling Stones and the Beatles to make movies about them in the 60s. And so he ends up doing this Beatles movie. But his misfortune was that as soon as he finished the film, they were already broken up. So when the film came out, everybody saw it as like evidence of a depressing demise and the kind of conventional wisdom around the album let it be in the movie especially was that this was the sound of the beatles fracturing and falling apart and yoko ono and blah 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 you know that's backstory but if, but it turns out when peter jackson this is one of the beautiful things i found out about 
this movie that's coming out in November, by the way, what I learned that was interesting was he didn't know if he wanted to make the movie because he, the received wisdom was in this footage was going to be depressing images of the band breaking up. So then he, he goes and looks at all 60 hours. He watches them twice. And he says, all I was just laughing the entire time because it was so hilarious and it was so great. And they were so full of creative energy and it was so lively and they were not at all appearing to be uh, breaking up. So then the suggestion that we've got it all wrong about this period in Beatles history and Beatles fans really get very worked up about these things, as you can well imagine, has been controversial because people say, oh, are you whitewashing this history? Have you been hired by you know, Apple Records or the Beatles company to, you know, do some revisionist history or whatever. And, um, but no, it's like he's saying we had it all wrong. And, and to me, and one of the most fascinating things about it was the Beatles themselves never wanted to look at this movie because they, in their own minds, they began to have distorted memories about what happened. And they started to think this movie or all this footage that he saw was going to reveal as, how depressing it was in their memory, you know, according to the the memories they had. But in fact, their memories had been distorted. And he says, uh, Jackson tells me in this interview that Paul McCartney doesn't even remember what happened in January 1969. His his, his memory is completely shot, in, as is Ringo's. And he said they don't really even remember what happened. So when Peter Jackson goes to see Paul McCartney after seeing all this footage, he goes to see him back. He sees him backstage at a Paul McCartney concert, as one does. And he says, uh, and Paul's nervous to meet Peter Jackson because he's like, oh, God, what did you see? What is on there? And he goes, no, it's not what you think. It's hilarious. It's lively. It's it's amazing. And he's like, what? He's like, really? And he's like, yeah, you won't believe it. It's not what you thought all along. So anyway, that's the kind of uh, basic framework of what this movie is going to be in our story, which you can go read on VanityFair.com. I described some of the footage that I saw. It's incredible. It's a uh, almost an hour of the Beatles playing on the roof of Apple Records in London in 1969. It was their last time ever playing live together. So you get to watch. You at home will see the last Beatles concert ever. And uh, it's incredibly powerful and funny and emotional. And it's wonderful. And if you are watching this video, either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father, the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake, at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There's five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts. cool thing you know obviously the the music part of it and the music history part of it and getting to see that final concert in and of itself is kind of a wonder 
But it really makes you, it, it makes such a larger point about the fallibility of memory. Yes. How one person's perception of 60 hours of footage has shaped like pretty important mythology. And then the people who lived its own mythology about what happened to them because memory is so fallible. What an interesting, like just psychological and sociological experiment this was. Also, is it not crazy that he watched 60 hours of footage twice? It is really incredible. And it was, that's the footage, the visual footage. There was also, you know, a couple of hundred hours of audio some of which had no video attached to it. So they were also using the audio to make this film. And there's all kinds of dialogue and stuff that didn't make it on on the celluloid, but is on the audio. And you know, there's a little side story that he told me, which is that all of the audio, which was on reel-to-reel tapes, right? This is back in the late 60s, was stolen by an employee of Apple and went missing for three decades. Interpol in Europe had raided some guy's apartment in Amsterdam and recovered you know, like 90% of the tapes in like 1999 or 2000. And, and and the only audio they had for this movie was like a mono, you know, some ancient version of it that what didn't sound too good. So anyway, it's like there's all kinds of stories here. And what, to what you say about the memory thing, it really is, that's one of the most remarkable things about it because most of us don't have as much film footage of their lives, you know, as these guys do, right? And, you know, their archives are, prob- are filled with all kinds of stuff like this, you know, just here we have 60 hours of footage just lying around, you know? And, uh, of course, over time, as we know from science, you know, our brain begins to construct stories. And every time you remember the story, you might add or subtract or remold the story somehow. And then through the years, it becomes a mythology more than anything that's factual or real. And it's the same with people who see a crime and then try to describe it later and they get it all wrong, right? So this is, it's exactly that. I interviewed Paul McCartney about five years ago and I said, do you read any of these Beatles books? And he goes, I try, I start to read them and then I see one thing that's wrong or that that is I know isn't right and I just throw the book across the room and I can't oh, continue. I can't even but, imagine you know, what that must be like. Crazy. Uh, do you keep a journal or anything? Or have you had times where you kept a journal about your life? You know, I have only recently begun to think about that even being a worthwhile thing. You know, as journalists, we often think everybody but ourselves is interesting. It's sort of like a weird phenomenon, right? Or or you are so deeply uncomfortable with being the center of a story that you spend your life making That's other right. people's stories. Yes. Yeah, no, I, absolutely true. So I have thought about it in recent times, and then I go back and I begin to consciously try to remember things. And it's a fascinating experiment to try to go into your childhood, go into your even your 20s. You know, I mean, I think I've told you this before, and if I haven't, I'm telling you now, which is that when you have a baby or a child or bring children into your life, it's remarkable how it's such an enormous demarcation point in your life to the point where everything before begins to just be like Dorothy in black and white world. And then it's you're in a color world after that and kind of like it's such a huge injection of meaning in your life that everything that you did before seems a little bit like a lot of drum roll, you know, leading up to this. And I, I know that sounds 
kind of weird, but it's true. And, it, and it, it affects your memory because in your memory, what happened before the children becomes a little bit paler. And, uh, you know, so now as my kids have gotten older, I've been like, oh, yeah, things happened to me before these children. I forgot all about that. <laughs> um, that is so, honestly, uh, that is that made it made me tear up. Uh, just hearing it, it made me just so excited. Um, I will say I have never kept a journal for the reasons that you have never kept a journal. And I also feel really self-conscious when I'm like, whenever I've tried to be like, dear diary, uh, it just doesn't feel like the kind of writing that I like to do. But when I got pregnant, I bought a book that is, you know, Smithson, this, this stationary leather good company. Do you just ring a bell to you? Heard of it. Yeah. If you like paper and leather goods, you know Smithson. And I like both of those things. Um, so I bought this Smithson notebook that says risks worth taking on the cover. And I started writing notes to our baby in this book as soon as I got pregnant. And I wrote how we found out that we got pregnant and sort of every time we would go to get an ultrasound and Lee would write her notes uh, when big things would happen, when little things would happen. And I have to tell you, it's been one of the more enjoyable things that I've done. And and probably because it's not really about myself and because I just one day envision her reading it and that excites me. There's something to it. I have to say there's something to, as things are happening to you that feel small. And I can guarantee you that in six months from now, I will not remember the second ultrasound where I got to see a little flickering bean for the first time. But I'm really happy that there's a, uh, a mark of it somewhere because I wouldn't remember it. So I don't know. All this is all this is food for thought. Well, it's the you're you're not just talking about yourself. You're you're telling a story to this child and who will one day be able to um, read this stuff and learn about their own evolution. I, I, my wife and I did similar to what you're doing, which is had a book and we wrote a lot of facts and details and we have reviewed it with them and they're older years. And it's special to them to be able to open it up, see an ultrasound, read a little diary entry, you know. Well, you know, Joe, you and I have talked about this a lot, but um, for for my anniversary with Lee this year, this is a really personal episode. I'm sorry, guys, but here, mm. here we are. Oh, let's go. For our anniversary this year, I asked uh, both of our parents to sit down and actually do a personal podcast with me separately. Um, I, I interviewed my parents and I interviewed Lee's parents. And I interviewed them all about becoming parents for the first time. And it was fascinating to hear from my parents who literally, as we talk about fallibility of memory, uh, don't remember anything about being pregnant with me, only about being pregnant with my sister, which is really funny. Um, My mom will hear this and she'll disagree, but, but I will tell you, they remember a lot more about having my sister than they remember about me. And then hearing from Lee's parents... Uh, for the first time about, you know, their pregnancy and what it was like to have a baby Lee and the lessons that they learned and the things that they want to teach their grandchild. It was just, it was such a wonderful thing and an amazing way to hear from your parents. And I'm so excited to pass this down. Um, So I just recommend, particularly after this year where we've all been separated from family, you know, not all of you are journalists, not all of you want to interview your parents weirdly, but there's something nice about having these intimate conversations with family as we've been separated for so long about 
big moments in life and small moments in life and just taking the time to really listen to each other. And I know so many of us have heard the, like the big stories so many times from our families, but it's just like taking the time to ask them the small things. Like, do you remember the first night home after you had a baby or, uh, do you remember where you were when you found out you were pregnant? Like they don't all have to be around this kind of thing, but, but little things like that, that you probably have never heard from your family members. It's just, it was, I don't know, it was a learning experience for me and it was really touching. So if you are seeing family again this summer, and I hope all of you are, have fun conversations like that. You'll learn a lot and it will make you feel good. And it will make you feel even closer to the people who you now appreciate even more. Interview grandma. You know, interview, interview grandma, just is a good time to interview. And we all have voice notes on our phone. This is a good time to just record because I think this time of absence from all of our families has certainly made my heart grow fonder. And it has just made me realize how precious our time and our conversations are with each other. So if you're in a position to be with family and can either jot down or, or pull out your phone and press record, I guarantee there will be a day where you are so happy to have that recording or to have that journal. Uh, life is precious and time is short. And it just, I don't know, I feel warm and fuzzy today. And that makes me feel even warm and fuzzier. Well, it's a kind of an appropriate uh, or a reasonable segue into talking about, you know, memory and remembering and sort of the importance of, you know, reviewing history. I was just reading moments ago that Juneteenth, which is in two days, and by the time you, dear listener, are hearing this, it may very well be Juneteenth has been made a national holiday by Joe Biden, by the Joe Biden administration. And, you know, I have to say that uh, a lot of us maybe had heard of it. I'd heard of it because of the Ralph Ellison book, uh, but I didn't know that much about it. And we're all kind of learning and being educated about it now. And I think we're all the better for it to be learning all these things. I was just reading in the Times uh, about this Texas woman, Opal Lee. She's 93 years old, a Texas woman, African-American. When she was 12, her home was burned to the ground by white supremacists. And it was a devastating, obviously, experience for her. And it activated her to become an activist. And a couple of years ago, she decided when she was 89, a few years ago, decided to walk from her home in Fort Worth all the way to Washington in an effort to get Juneteenth named a national holiday. So uh, she traveled two and a half miles each day, I'm reading the Times right now, to symbolize the two and a half years that black Texans waited between when Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation on January 1, 1863, abolishing slavery, and the day that message arrived in Galveston, Texas, where black people were enslaved on June 19, 1865. So so here's this woman, and she's interviewed by the Times, and you should go check it out. It's an, It's a... It's powerful. And, you know, to think of somebody who her own family's history and the story of the nation are completely intertwined. And so I know that when Juneteenth rolls around uh, this weekend, I'm going to think of that woman 
certainly. And um, try to read more stories like that. And we've been learning about so many of them in the last couple of years, but uh, as just everybody has become more aware. So anyways, I just want to mention that. What an incredible thing. I, that's like the first thing I want to go read after this. And, and I think um, this is a good example of uh, Washington doing good and getting something right. And it's about time. And it feels like this should have happened a long time ago. But uh, I'm happy that it's happening now. And it should be something that we all mark and think about and sort of push towards and figure out what we can do next to honor things that we don't necessarily in our everyday life think about or uh, voices that we aren't hearing. And it feels like a great little moment that we are taking the time to honor that. Speaking of of Washington getting things right, I just want to uh, point out that we have something very exciting coming next week out of Washington. Let's hear it. We are going to have a VIP episode. I'm not going to spoil it, but... We are going to be tackling maybe for two weeks, maybe it's a two-parter, unclear, either one Super Smash episode or a two-parter on, I know we've talked about this a bunch, but but about uh, the care economy, the so-called care economy and about paid leave. Obviously it's top of mind for me, but it should be top of mind for everybody because we cannot have a full and robust economy if that economy does not include paid leave and that's not just for expecting mothers and fathers. That's for people who are taking care of sick family members, elderly family members, uh, disabled family members. And it is a gigantic issue that is holding a large segment of our population back. And it is holding our economy back. And we are talking to some of the smartest and loudest voices on this issue. I'm so excited. I'm grateful for their time. And I'm, I'm, Really excited for you guys to hear it. If you guys have any questions or things you want to hear from people who are actually making this stuff happen and pushing it through, send them our way this week. You know how to find us on Twitter. And I'm and I'm happy to ask anyone next week as, as I work through these interviews and Joe and I will talk through it. But uh, it's such a big issue and we're so excited to really dig in here. I can't wait. You know, obviously... This is both a, again, a personal and national story for you. And, and uh, you, you have, and you have three that. kids, you have a family, you have uh, a wife who is a, a very successful writer. And this is for every household in America, whether or not you have kids or you have elderly parents or you are taking care of someone who is sick at home. This is an issue or you have none of those things and you're a boss or you're an employee or you're just a concerned citizen and neighbor. This touches everybody. Yeah. Where does it sort of come down politically? Because this part I'm not aware of, and maybe we'll find out more next week, but it just, it can't just be Democrats who are into paid leave. Well, I don't think it's just Democrats who are into paid leave, but I think it's just w- Democrats right now who are willing to pay for paid leave, right? Uh, look at the infrastructure bill that the Republicans are willing to get behind. It is not a full infrastructure bill. It does not fund all the infrastructure and a care economy and pay leave is part of an infrastructure bill. It's not physical infrastructure, but it is, it's not roads and bridges and broadband, but it is infrastructure. It is supporting the economy. And so if you don't 
fully financially support an infrastructure bill the way the Democrats are, and if you're report, if you're supporting one the way Republicans are, it doesn't provide adequate funding for it. And we can talk all about this right. next week. And there are people who can mm-hmm. give you a much smarter answer than I just gave you. But I believe that is the basic outline of an answer. So next week we'll be getting all the details and nuance on that from some really heavy hitters who know what they're talking about. Before we go, I have one recommendation. I haven't told you about Bring this yet, but I'm going to tell you in real time with everybody else. Have you watched the show on HBO Max called Hacks? No, but I just heard about it. A friend was mentioning it to me. Get off the podcast and go watch it. <laughs> I tore through it. It is 10 episodes. It is brilliant. It is just pleasant television. I'm having a really hard time focusing on anything right now. And mm-hmm. um, I'm also solo in LA and have been here by myself for three weeks. Um, which <sighs> You've I've, had some time. I've yeah. had time, but I also find it really, I, I'm crashing on a story and that I'm working, you know, until 10 o'clock right. at night. And then at 10 o'clock at night, it's like, do I really want to watch a show alone or am I going to watch, a, a, you know, reruns of Sex and the City? And usually reruns wins out. <laughs> but I started watching Hacks and I couldn't stop. It is so delightful. It's funny. I cried at the last episode. The characters, the acting, it takes place in Vegas in a way that you like don't really see shows or movies take place in Vegas, which I also think is really cool in a weird way. You'll appreciate it. So recommend it. If you want something to watch this weekend, Joe, I think you'll love it. Well, it would be a a hard pivot from what I have been watching. Which is? Which is uh, Rick and Morty. Oh. Uh, Yes, the juvenile cartoon. You know, I watch it with my 14-year-old. People love it. Well, I showed it to my wife and not one laugh squeaked (laughs) out of her. So um, it's not for everybody. Different strokes. But... um, you know, we have a smorgasbord of things to uh, to look at. But I so I always appreciate when somebody like you plucks something out smart that I has your stamp of approval. And I know I can go watch that with confidence. I don't know if your girls can watch it. I can't remember if there's something in there. No, just for me. I just need it's, I need my adult time. Yes. Well, this is definitely adult time, but I, it could be teen time, too. I can't quite remember. But but it will definitely be great for adult time. Recommend it. And then next week we have we have all sorts of content for everybody here. So we will get on with our our weeks and weekends and bring you some hot interviews on paid leave. Nothing hotter than paid leave next week. Stay tuned. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy your summer and spring and we will see you next week. Thank you to my favorite co-host, Joe Hagan. If you enjoyed this conversation, please be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, radio.com, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Thanks to our great producer, Brett Fuchs, and the folks at Cadence 13 as well. And of course, thanks to our sponsors. Please support them any way you support this podcast. We will see you right here next week. You come to the New Yorker Radio Hour for conversations that go deeper with people you really want to hear from, whether it's Bruce Springsteen or Questlove or Olivia Rodrigo. 
Liz Cheney, or the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton, or some of my extraordinarily well-informed colleagues at The New Yorker. So join us every week on The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts.